You, this is Sam Sports Podcast. I'm Sam Rosenberg. Today is Wednesday, May 11th, 2016. I'm actually going to be um, cutting in. Uh, I did a bit of uh, stuff for my uh, radio show. I recorded it yesterday. Uh, that's what uh, today's podcast is going to be. I pretty much go into the NBA playoffs. I talk about LeBron. I talk about the Cavs. I talk about the Warriors. I talk about pretty much all of the teams that are left over in the NBA playoffs right now. Um, but I want to just put a little disclaimer that I recorded it yesterday. So there's going to be some discussion about uh, the Spurs and the Thunder game. I still Game 5 still had not happened. I'm going to talk about that right now. Uh, Russell Westbrook going off in the fourth quarter, winning that game by, I mean, it wasn't just by himself, but he and Durant, they took over in the fourth quarter and they really socked it to the Spurs. And I got to just say it, Tim Duncan looks like he fell off a cliff, man. He has his ability. He looks so old, so fast. I mean, I had my dad texting me being like, geez, Tim Duncan, my goodness. Everybody and their mother is sitting here going, wow, he is really, I mean, he might not even come back next season. It's really like that because uh, he's father time has finally caught up with Tim Duncan. And what you're seeing now is you're also seeing Parker and Ginobili are not as, 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 as dangerous a force as they used to be. So now the big three with the Spurs are kind of slowly being swept by the wayside to really focus on Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge. And now you're sitting here saying the real guts of this Spurs team is LaMarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard. And you know what? Kevin Durant, and Russell Westbrook are coming on at the right time. They Everything is breaking correctly for them. You know, they're getting hot right when they need to. And I'm going to say all of this in today's podcast. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about, you know, getting hot at the right time. And the Thunder are certainly doing that and stealing pivotal, a pivotal game five in San Antonio to go ahead three games to two. I got to tell you, that's putting some putting some fear in the hearts of the Spurs, and it should be putting some fear in the hearts of the Warriors as well. I know Steph Curry, Draymond, Klay Thompson, I know they are animals, and they can defeat just about anybody you put in front of them. But I'm telling you right now, the Thunder are looking dangerous, very, very dangerous. So um, I'm really excited to see how that shakes out. I kind of am hoping, you know, I said a few weeks ago, I really wanted to see the Spurs and the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, but... Part of me is hoping that the uh, the Thunder get out of this series. And I I mean, I want to see the Thunder, you know, I don't want to see them upset the Warriors, but I think they could do it. I think they could upset the Warriors more so than the Spurs can right now because the Spurs are showing their true colors. They really look like they're a little old and they look like they're a step behind everybody right now. And at a time when the playoffs are, uh, everything's on the line, you know, it's a bad time to lose a pivotal game five, and their uh, their big three are just looking old. Um, anyway, I'm gonna stop. Uh, we're gonna go right into my uh, the stuff I recorded yesterday. It's a pretty good podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. And um, uh, here we go. All right, now let's settle in for just a little bit of hardwood hoopla. Now, it is at this time that I typically talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, but those of you who've been listening for the last couple of weeks know by now that the only thing the Sixers have to look forward to at this point would be the NBA draft lottery. So the lottery picking is coming up, I believe it is this Tuesday, the 17th. So hopefully the Sixers have something positive to be uh, to be looking at and thinking about. And you know what? Something I'm going to highlight right now. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm a big fan of uh, Zach Lowe's uh, The Low Post. It's a really great listen. If you ever have a chance, you should check it out. But 
He was talking with ESPN's Kevin Arnovitz recently, and they were talking a lot about how uh, they have a feeling like the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be winning the draft lottery this year. And, and you know, Kevin Arnovitz is like, they're going to win the lottery again. They're going to get another trend, you know, transcendent talent. They're going to add that person to Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. And all of a sudden, this team is going to be right back in the saddle again. And, you know, it gave me pause because I'm sitting here going, you know what? Why aren't we talking about the Sixers? Why isn't the Philadelphia Sixers in the same breath as winning the lottery uh, this year as the Minnesota Timberwolves? Why do they automatically think it's going to be, you know, like the Cavaliers or the Timberwolves or one of these teams that's won the, the lottery, the number one pick, you know, multiple times? Darn it, this year is the best possible chance that the Sixers are going to win the draft lottery, and I would like to think that they are going to do it. I want to pull for them. I want to bet on the fact that they are going to win this draft lottery. So that is definitely something to look forward to. I'm pulling for them. I know that if you run the numbers, they've got the most possible ping pong balls in that friggin' lottery thing where they suck the ping pong ball up and they say, all right, this is the team that wins. You know, right now the Sixers got more than any other team out there, more than the Lakers, more than the Timberwolves, more than all these other schlocky teams put together. So I feel positive that the Sixers can at least pull it out. And I just had to say that because I'm sort of like, you know, man, Kevin Arnovitz, I don't want to knock you, but it's like, listen, man, you got to throw the Sixers out there too. Because if anybody has certainly, you know, swallowed, you know, poo for the last couple of years, it has been the Sixers and their fans with the hope that they will strike it rich this year and hopefully get some type of a transcendent talent. I want that transcendent talent to come to Philadelphia, okay? I want him wearing red, white, and blue and playing with, uh, you know, who is it, Franklin? Is that the new mascot they got this year, Franklin? I want to see that happening. I want to see some chemistry between, you know, maybe a Ben Simmons or a, or, a, or an Ingram, you know, have them come play with Jaleel Okafor and all these cats. Um Anyway, like I say, when I talk hardwood hoopla, I go in and I talk heavy duty when it comes to the Sixers. However, sadly, because the only thing the Sixers have to look forward to and to discuss is their upcoming draft and then also possibly whatever Brian Colangelo is doing now that he has uh, taken over the seat that Sam Hinkie was keeping warm for a while. Um, let's shift gears and move into the playoffs because I've talked a lot about the playoffs. Now, as some of you have, uh, sure know, I do pre-record much of my show, so you know I don't have everything in real time. I can tell you right now it's Tuesday. I've seen a handful of the games. Uh, I'm going to focus right now on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I got a great mailbag question Um couple of mailbag questions about the Cavaliers that I thought would be appropriate and also an opportunity to talk about the Cavaliers because I know right now that this uh, this Raptors Heat series is probably going the distance. If it's not going to six games, it's going to six games. It might just go to seven. I'm thinking it's going to go to seven. I'm picking the Miami Heat to win it in seven games. I think that that veteran leadership is enough for them to overcome uh, the uh, the Toronto Raptors. I just the Raptors just they have not proven to me that they've got that swagger that's gonna you know allow them to eliminate uh, you know uh, Dwayne Wade and Goran Dragic. Um, so th that aside, I know the Cavaliers have already swept the Hawks. So for the second straight year, the Atlanta Hawks have been eliminated from the playoffs by the Cleveland Cavaliers in a four-game sweep. Only this time, it was in the second round. It was in the semifinals, as opposed to last year when it was actually in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know what's more embarrassing, getting swept in the second round or getting swept in the Eastern Conference Finals. Probably the latter. Um, 
Uh, but so anyway, the point is, is that the Cavaliers now have an opportunity to rest. They have an opportunity to take a breather for the next couple of days while they wait to figure out who wins the Miami Toronto series. Um, so it brings me to this mailbag question that I received, which I thought was really appropriate because it talks a little bit more about the evolution of the chemistry that's happening on the Cavaliers. So the mailbag question is, uh, Sam, love the show, been listening for uh, you know a couple of weeks now. Question is, are the Cavaliers better with Kevin Love on the floor? That's Derek from Upper Darby. Now, Kevin Love uh, has has truly really blossomed in uh, this playoffs, specifically against the Hawks. I mean, he was playing well against the Pistons, but the Pistons were really, you know, they, they really gave it their all, but they were not the playoff caliber team that the Cavaliers are going to have to play in order to win the championship. So, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love thriving against the Pistons didn't really, you know, didn't really shock me all that much. But to see Kevin Love really open it up, to see him stroking the three, to see him being aggressive, to see him actually really making such an impact on this Atlanta Hawks series, because there was a couple of games where the Hawks actually played pretty well. They got out to a nice head start. They, uh, you know, really put the Cavaliers back on the ropes. There was, you know, the first game, the Cavaliers annihilated them. That was that was very clear. But there were several other games um, in this four-game series where you saw the Hawks come out and really get a jump on them. They got a jump on the Cavs. They ended up building up a nice lead, where it be it 10-point lead or 12-point lead or a 15-point lead. And in a couple of these games, more specifically game four, where they closed it out, Kevin Love was the difference maker. Kevin Love hitting the open threes, getting the rebounds, calling for the ball. I mean, that was the thing that was the difference maker. I mean, you saw them close the gap in the third quarter of the fourth game because Kevin Love was hitting those threes. You know, you saw him being such a presence on the floor that now you had to truly you know deal with him he's been a part of the big 3 but i think ever since he's arrived in cleveland kevin loves you know there's been a big question mark about him his entire career you know he's been a numbers guy in minnesota he had fantastic numbers he was touted as one of the top 5 players in the league but yet it never equated to wins. He could never get a W. He could never, you know, actually get his team into the playoffs. And so when he arrived in Cleveland, there was this feeling that he could bring that talent to LeBron and Kyrie and create that big three. But since he's arrived, he's had trouble fitting in. He's either had trouble fitting in, they've had coaching issues with David Blatt being a terrible coach, or he's been injured. I mean, we forgot about him most of last uh, postseason because he uh, dislocated his shoulder in the first round against the Boston Celtics, and then we didn't see him for the rest of the playoff run. And it, and to add insult to injury, the Cavaliers made it all the way to the finals without him. So it sort of reiterated and you know put more fuel on the fire regarding this discussion and this uh, this feeling that he is just you know he's not his weight in gold. That uh, you know in some regards there was feelings that the Cavaliers should be trading him him because you know why do you need to have him when he's essentially doing the same thing that a spot-up shooter would be doing I mean he kind of fills the same role that Chris Bosh sort of played with the Miami Heat over the last handful of years when LeBron was still there um, but this mailbag question is are the Cavaliers better with Kevin Love on the floor and I want to truly say yes um, I'm going to reiterate. I'm going to talk about an article that I read recently. Uh, since the Cavaliers have swept and eliminated the Atlanta Hawks, uh, there was an article that came out that specifically discussed uh, Coach Teron Liu of the Cavaliers calling out Kevin Love. They pretty much had a 
team meeting uh, in March, in early March, which is towards the end of the season, um, where he pretty much called out Kevin Love and was like, "Listen, man, you got to be aggressive. Okay, you got to be, you got to be calling for the ball. You got to be demanding. It's like, listen, you a bad mother effer." He literally says that in the article. He's like, "You're a bad mother effer. So you got to be a bad mother effer. You got to come out there and you got to impose your will on this game. Okay, you can't just be fitting in with the flow of the game. You can't disappear behind LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. It's like, listen, man, you are a member of the beef, the big three. Go be a member of the big three. Show everybody out there that you mean business, and they've got to stop what they're doing and guard you. Okay, so that's the story that has now come out, and the truth is." I think you're seeing the proof in the pudding because he is dangerous, dangerous with this team. All of a sudden, Cleveland, with all the drama they've had this season, with all of the cohesion issues, firing the coach, ups and downs, lefts and rights, you call it what you will, they're getting hot at the right time. They're in the playoffs right now, the exact moment when they need to get hot, when they need to be playing well, when they need to be getting chemistry together, this is when it this is when it really matters and it's happening right now. Think about the New York Giants when they defeated the, the New England Patriots in that 16-0 undefeated season. The Patriots were perfect. They went to the Super Bowl and Eli Manning and uh and uh, Plaxico Burris just pretty much, you know, took them out and you know the David Tyree catch. You know what I'm talking about. So pretty much at that moment that was an encapsulation of the New York Giants playing, you know, getting hot when they needed to get hot. They got they they were just playing perfect at the exact right time. And that can, you know, I hear this a lot where they talk about things can break the right way. Well, at that point in time for the New York Giants, everything broke the right way. And you know what? Right now, things are breaking the right way for the Cleveland Cavaliers. The chemistry is there. The three-point shooting is there. All of the guys are fitting in right. Now, there's not injury issues. There's not some question mark as to who's going to be the rotation, how everybody's going to fit in. Everything is really coming together, and that's pretty scary if you uh, you know, you know look at anybody else in the Eastern Conference. Not even the Eastern Conference, but look at the Spurs, and you look at the Warriors. Um, yeah, now, the Warriors, I'm going to talk about them, totally different topic in a minute. Uh, but the, you know, the Spurs, who are now actually having difficulty – um, dealing with the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, if I'm the Spurs, I'd be pretty scared about seeing what's happening with the Cavaliers with this chemistry coming together right now. Um, so I'm going to say right now, uh, yes, I do think the Cavaliers are a better team with Kevin Love on the floor. It's a real blessing to see him thriving and to see him finally fitting in with this team. Um, and I think one of the things that really stood out with me was when they eliminated the Hawks at the end of Game 4, you saw a very big, deliberate, and strong hug from LeBron James to Kevin Love. You saw him give him a big bear hug and hold on to him, and he said something in his ear. I think it was something like, listen, man, we needed you to do this. You needed to step up, and you stepped up right, and now it's time for us to go all the way. Like, Listen, I don't know what he said, but there's clearly some brotherly love going on there. Finally, I think the cohesion and the chemistry that they've always wanted in Cleveland with these guys, I think it's finally happening. Now, Let me move on to the next mailbag question, which is actually another Cavaliers. I had some great mailbag questions this week. Um, Talks about the Cavaliers. Uh, This is Sam been listening to the show. Love it. When did the Cavaliers become a three-point shooting machine? And that is from Jonas in South Philly. Now, Jonas, this is an interesting thing because they've always kind of been a three-point shooting team. But here specifically in the playoffs, now that their chemistry is coming together, and I keep saying this, their cohesion, everything is breaking right at the right times. 
you're seeing the three-point shooting become explosive, accurate, and deadly. It's not that they weren't a three-point shooting team during the regular season. They absolutely were, and that is the direction of the league right now. Okay, The NBA is going towards that. You're seeing this with the advanced metrics, all of the, you know, the sh- the shot charts where you're able to get a graph that shows you where everybody's been shooting the ball from on the on the court the golden state warriors are a perfect example of that i mean they kill people from beyond the arc the three point shot is such a dangerous tool for that golden state warriors team and i think in some ways it's like it took it took years for the entire league to be like you know what why don't we focus more on this three-point shot because we're literally getting more points by scoring just by shooting the ball from further out. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, the arc is not a literal arc, okay? It is not equidistant across the entire court. Literally, the arc gets shorter in the corners. So the corner three is literally a closer shot than something that's all the way at the top of the key, you know, closer to the middle, clo- closer to midcourt. You know, those are closer shots. That's why you're able to see certain basketball players. They can't hit like the three from like, you know, the edge, but they can hit the three from the corner. It's because it's a shorter shot. They're literally closer to the basket. So the three-point shot has just become so much more of a, you know, just like seeing the power forwards become this stretch four turning into this guy who can go up and down the floor and, you know, cheat out and guard the perimeter. You're seeing the same thing happen with the three-point shot. You know, know, you're going to need guys like Draymond Green who can play down low and can also hit the three-point shot. That's just where the league is going. And the Cavaliers... They're jumping on board. They're going right along with it, and they've got they've got plenty of uh, three-point shooters to boot. You know, LeBron's got it. Kyrie's got can stroke the three. Kevin Love can stroke the three. You know, you still got Richard Jefferson. You still got James Jones. You still got J.R. Smith. You got Iman Shumpert. All these guys can hit the three-point shot, and then you throw Tristan Thompson down low. Now, Tristan Thompson can't stroke it from three, but he is a post presence who's going to get those long rebounds. You know, if, if – Lots of three-point shots, they don't all go in, and they usually end up coming with a shot where the ball goes. Maybe you don't make the shot, but you get a rebound. You get a you get the rebound down low, and that's a benefit from a three-point shot because, A, you could either make it, or, B, you could miss it, and one of your post players could actually be down low, and he can get the rebound and, you know, really make, a, you know, make the difference with that. And so that's something you need to take into consideration when you start to think about how deadly this three-point shot can be. And you know, somebody else I didn't even mention, Channing Fry. You know, I knocked this trade at the trade deadline, but the truth is, it's working out pretty well for the Cavaliers. They went and traded for Channing Fry, who is a clearly a uh, you know, um, I don't I wouldn't call him a power forward. He's got the height to be a power forward. I don't think he's got the size or the mobility. You know, he's a little bit more of kind of a tall wingman you know, small forward, but he's got a three-point shot. He always has had a three-point shot. He's been stroking it for a very long time, and he is another deadly sharp-shooting three-point shooter who is now on the Cavaliers. I mean, there was, well, I think it was game four as well, He or game three, he went off. He had something like 20 points and three-pointers. He was an animal, and the Cavaliers are setting records for the most three-point shots made in a single game, uh, playoffs or regular season, doesn't matter, because they are killing it from three-point land, but... Jonas, to answer your question, I think they've always been the three-point shooting machine. I think that the matchups that they have encountered so far in the playoffs have allowed them to exploit that. You know, Atlanta, 
does, did not particularly have the strongest uh, per, uh, perimeter defense. Um, the Detroit Pistons, same thing. You know, they, they had they had tenacious defenders, but just. I mean, the ball movement with Cleveland, you know, they were running circles around Detroit. They did as best as they could, but Detroit could not stop them from just killing them beyond, from, from the Cavaliers killing them beyond the arc. And that's the truth. Um, and, it, and it just makes them even more dangerous with all the chemistry coming together, with the three-point shooting coming together. I mean, it just means that whether you have Miami or Toronto coming out of that series, I don't, I don't think either one of them are going to stand a chance against the Cavaliers. And you're going to see LeBron taking his team to the NBA Finals for the what was this be the sixth straight year in a row he will go to the NBA Finals now granted he's only won two of those five finals so far and that this might be his third one um, but it's it's just crazy just crazy to see them so lethal and so dangerous and from beyond the arc um, so I think it's something that was always there but has now truly begun to reveal itself. Um, I am, uh, I'm going to go on a little bit of a, you know, so that's the mailbag question. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here right now about LeBron James, okay? I want to talk about LeBron James, who I like to call at times LeBron Jizzle. Uh, I think you can read between the lines there with why I chose that particular uh, phraseology with Mr. James. He is an absolute monster. And now I am, I'm also going to say that Steph Curry was the first ever unanimous MVP this season. He won the MVP award uh, earlier this week. Um, or, you know, today, because I'm pre-recording everything. Um, he was the first time that he ever was a unanimous decision. Uh, this is his second straight year of winning MVP, which is amazing, which is remarkable. I'm going to talk about the, the, the Warriors in just a second, but like I said, I'm going to go on a rant about LeBron James right now. LeBron James, I still want to say right now, is the best player in the league. I know that Stephen Curry is amazing to watch. He's one of the one of the most brilliant shooters I've ever seen. What he can do on the court is breathtaking. What he did in Game 4 against the Blazers earlier this week was breathtaking. And it's just magical to see him play. And I think that it's very easy to love Steph Curry. You know, we're, we're in a point in time where culturally... Everybody is just so hooked into him. We're jacked in. We want to follow him. We want to watch the games. We want to root for him. He's kind of an underdog. He's not a big, huge, you know, six foot eight, monstrously muscular, you know, Adonis that uh, you have with LeBron James. He's a little smaller, a little bit more normal looking. You know, he's not aggressive to the hoop. He's not taunting. You know, he's not killing people with his athletic ability. He's just killing people with his finesse and his you know, his, his, his athletic, or I just said not athletic ability, but he's just, he, he's not a big barreling guy. That's not his game. LeBron still is, but I got to tell you, I don't know if anybody truly affects their team the way LeBron James is affecting his team right now. It is, I just said it, you know, a minute or two ago, this could be the sixth straight year that LeBron James is taking his team to the NBA Finals, okay? It tells you something that he can go from one franchise to another franchise, and somehow he still manages to bring his team to the Finals. I mean, last year, even without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, there was a point when I went to go see the Cavaliers play the Sixers and LeBron James, I think he was playing, but no, no, he wasn't playing. I think it might have been that two-week. Do you remember last year he took two weeks off? He just decided to, to leave and, and take a little mini vacation in the middle of the season. I mean, who gets away with that? And the team was under 500. There was a point when the Cleveland Cavaliers were 19-20. and 20. 
that same team went to the NBA Finals and was up two games to one on the Golden State Warriors. That's because of LeBron James. The guy can push the ball up the floor. He can dunk the ball. He can pass the ball. He can rebound the ball. He can do no-look passes. He can post you down. He can do the fadeaway. He can everything. He's in everything. I'm going to throw it out there right now. He might be better than Michael Jordan. Oh, I said it. That's right. Sam Rosenberg, I said it on the show. LeBron James might be better than Michael Jordan. If you disagree, let me know. Email me, samsportsstation at gmail.com. I dare you, okay? Tell me your argument. Give me the reasons why you think Michael Jordan is still better basketball player than LeBron James. And don't be going into me with that stuff about all the rings. Well, he's got six rings. Dude, I understand all that crap, okay? But I don't want to go into that stuff. I want to talk about absolute ability. I want to talk about control of the game influence on every single facet of the entire game that's happening. LeBron James is, it's just majestic to watch this man play, to see him just manipulate every facet of every single player on the court. I mean, there's a few no-look passes that I saw him make, which were just, they were so fast, I couldn't even, it's like the pass goes to him and he's already moving it around to somebody else. It's it's amazing. It's brilliant. And to think that he's been doing it as long as he has, to think that he's been in this league as long as he has, and that he is still dominant, still competitive. You know, in, in some regards, you know, I'm a little shocked that Steph Curry was the unanimous MVP because who's to say that LeBron still wouldn't have garnered some votes? I mean, he's still one of the... And, and uh, Kawhi Leonard finished ahead of LeBron James in MVP voting. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This feels like when Kobe Bryant was such an outcast because of all the friggin', you know, legal troubles he got into there with the rape case and everything. He was such a pariah that he should have won. M- Those years that Steve Nash won MVP, Kobe Bryant should have won MVP, okay? But they couldn't give it to him because he was just such bad PR. They couldn't actually give it to Kobe Bryant. And to his credit, Steve Nash was breathtakingly brilliant that season and the season afterwards. It's just, it goes back to what I said with uh, the Michael Jordan LeBron James thing, you know, if it's not equating to championships, there's only so much you can say. And Steve Nash's sons, as amazing as he was when he won those MVPs, they never even got to the NBA Finals. Um, So, you know, like Kobe should have won those years. It's like LeBron, who's to say LeBron shouldn't have won MVP this year? Uh, I mean, and now that's because Steph Curry did a better performance and definitely deserves to win MVP, but unanimous? I mean, LeBron James, man, this guy is... I don't, I don't care what – it's so easy to hate LeBron James. He's gotten to that point, you know, when he left Cleveland, he went to Miami, came back from Miami. I think everyone's a little tired of it, and it's very easy to, to hate him. It's like he's Goliath. He's not David. He's Goliath, and everybody wants to hate on Goliath. They are the mountaintop that you have to defeat. They are the ogre that the underdog has to, you know, take down. And LeBron is, you know, now that he's got his championships, now that he can, you know, choose to go to whatever team that he wants, it's like we resent him. It's like we dislike the fact that he's so talented, that he can do whatever he wants, that he can go to any team out there and perform, you know, still better than everybody else on the court. It's like, you know what, guys? Don't hate the player, hate the game. All right, don't hate on LeBron James just because he's so much better than everybody else out there. Just celebrate it. Enjoy it. Applaud when he does something breathtaking. Jump for joy when he defies gravity and flies through the air and does like a reverse dunk or gets a three-pointer that you never thought he'd hit. I mean, it's, 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 I love watching him play. 
I'm just gonna, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a LeBron James fan. I love the man. I think he's exciting to watch play. I love watching Steph Curry play as well. But LeBron James, there is something he does that's just magical. And to see him do every single element of the, and to see him get better as the years have gone on, this man has gotten better at learning how to play with his teammates and make his team better. And I mean, you could all, you could say for all intents and purposes, he's been the coach this entire season, not David Blatt. And, you know, Teron Lue, I, I want to give Teron Lue credit because I actually think Teron Lue is probably um, gaining and earning respect from LeBron James and those cats. But, uh, you know, in some regards, LeBron has been the coach, the GM, the everything for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, <coughs> excuse me, there's only there's only certain players that can really do that. And, you know, Steph Curry is not there yet. We might be in love with him. He might be the hottest, you know, new thing on the block right now. And that's not to say that's going to go away. But I'm telling you right now, he is the hot stuff right now, and we're forgetting that LeBron James is still brilliant. I mean, two years ago, Kevin Durant was MVP. He was the hot stuff then, and you know we're, we're kind of quietly forgetting about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's brilliant. I mean, they're in a position right now where the Thunder might actually be taking down the Spurs. All right, that might have already happened. I, 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 I Like I said, I pre-record this. I don't know the outcome of the game right now. All in, right now, the Thunder and the Spurs, that series is 2-2. I'll revisit it uh, another point in time, but i got to go on this. I'm talking about the LeBron and the Cavs. I just had to go on this rant. Okay, so I love LeBron James or LeBron Jizzle, or as Marv Albert would say, LeBron James, yes, and the foul. That's right, Marv Albert. I was busted with a prostitute who was, quote, Looked like Lawrence Taylor in a wig. Yes. Anyway, just had to go, went off. That was a little bit, Marv Albert just came out of me. I have a big, big fan of Marv Albert too. I love him and his hairpiece. Um, let's switch gears to the Golden State Warriors. I've been talking a lot about the Cavs and saying that I'm coming to the Warriors. All right, so I'm going to talk about the Warriors right now. I've got a couple of mailbag questions about them. And I thought it'd be appropriate to uh, shift gears into that because the Warriors have a little bit of their own drama going on right now with the playoffs. Uh, so the injuries with Steph Curry have certainly, you know, put a scare in the hearts of all Warriors fans uh, and pretty much the entire league uh, creating a lot of, you know, mis- mystery and skepticism as to understanding what the heck was going to go on. Now, the Houston series, I think we knew that was a given. The Rockets are, I'm just going to put it out there, they're an embarrassment to the NBA right now because, I mean, they rolled over. To see when to see the reaction on the bench from the players when James Harden won that single game with the shot at the buzzer, to see them not react at all, I mean, I think it's pretty telling. It's pretty literal at the fact that they all were ready to go home and were ready to be done with their offseason. They were like, let's get the summer going. Let's just put this season to bed. And, you know, they were disappointed that they had to play another game. I mean, Houston is dysfunctional. Just the whole team is dysfunctional right now. And I think you really got to look at uh, James Harden. He's the superstar of the team. He's the leader of the team. He, sh- he hung out with the Kardashians all summer. He showed up out of shape, and he just created a toxic environment for everybody involved. He got Kevin McHale fired very quickly, and it doesn't help that Dwight Howard is also a bit of a head case. He's not a terrible head case. He's a nice guy, but chemistry-wise, championship-wise, he's not the t- same type of swagger. He does, does not have that type of, you know, like something, something intangible that's going to put them over the top, and you mix him with James Harden, I think they really had a window. They tried to take advantage of that window as much as they possibly could. And I think that window's closing. I think you you get rid of Dwight Howard, you really start to move on, try to build about try to build another team around James Harden while you still got a few more years left in him. Um, but I digress. 
to my mailbag question. Okay, here's a good mailbag question. Sam, is Draymond Green a bigger piece of the Warriors than Clay Thompson? That's from Jamie from Ambler, Pennsylvania. That's a good question, Jamie, because now that Steph Curry's been sitting, we had a really, really good opportunity to see the Warriors without Steph Curry, where pretty much the focal points of the team have been Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson, of course, is a scoring threat all the time. He's an animal. He can shoot from beyond the arc. I mean, he, we talk about this a lot. Steph Curry's the best shooter in the league. Clay Thompson's the second best shooter in the league. And a big reason why you can be as dangerous as you are from three-point land and just in general is because you've got two of the best shooters in the league on the same team. I mean, it's almost unfair. Um, but Draymond is a little bit more of an all-around you know, glue guy who's doing everything. He can score. Um, he can you know, go down low. He can bring the ball up the court. He can pass. I mean, this is Draymond's a triple-double guy. He gets rebounds. He passes the ball. He knows where to, to be. He plays smart basketball. And he's physical. Like, and he's emotional. Like, he's a guy who will get in the ear of the opponent. He'll get you to start double, you know, second-guessing what you're doing. He'll get in your head. And you really saw a shift when Steph Curry stopped playing where Draymond became more of the focal point of the team. And, and Jamie, to answer your question, I absolutely think Draymond Green is a bigger piece than Klay Thompson um, because Klay is a brilliant shooter, but he was still sort of playing off the ball. He was still sort of taking advantage of, you know, open looks and really, you know, working off of the, you know, the, the openings that Draymond Green was creating. You know, Draymond Green going down low, Draymond Green bringing the ball up the court, I think were the instigators for Clay getting his open shot. So Draymond might finish the game with 12 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists, and Clay Thompson finishes the game with 37 points. It's because, really, the focal point of the defense is looking at Draymond. They're pretty much all trying to focus on how to contain Draymond Green, keep him at bay, and you know try to not let him use the rest of the team to exploit the openings. Um, so Clay is absolutely Clay, – Clay Thompson is essential, you know, because you, you can't just take away scoring and think that somebody else is going to step up and score those points. Steph Curry, you know, averages 30 points a game. When he's not playing, someone else has got to score those 30 points. They don't just magically show up. Same thing with Clay Thompson, okay? He's averaging 20-some-odd points a game. You take him off the floor – Maurice Spates and Sean Livingston can't just make up that scoring. So Clay is absolutely essential to what the Warriors are doing, but Draymond is kind of the instigator that makes it all go. You know, it's like if Clay is the legs and the arms, you know, Draymond is the heart and the brain, man. He's the one who's going in there, shaking up that defense and creating openings. Now, interesting test for this Warriors team because you essentially saw them I mean, they had to take out the Houston Rockets without Curry. But as I said, the Houston Rockets are a joke. That wasn't really a challenge. Now they're in this series with um, the Portland Trailblazers. Like I said, I recorded this you know, on Tuesday. So at, at this point in time, the series is three games to one. It's not over. Game five is going to be a, a Wednesday night. Um, you could very well see um, the Warriors just eliminate the Portland Trailblazers in five games. That might already be the case. Uh, if... if Listen, if it's already happened, it's already happened. I'm throwing it out there. I'm using this opportunity to talk more about the Warriors and what was exposed by Steph Curry going off the floor with his injury 
and seeing Draymond Green become that focal point. Uh, so, Jamie, I do think he is the centerpiece of the team, at least when Curry is not on the floor. Um, they're a little bit lost uh, without him. Um, or, or, uh, I don't Actually, that's not true. It's not that they're lost, but that the team drastically changes. You see, you know, they, they do have a lot of the, their defense is still tenacious. You know, they still are able to get shots. Um, but the, the threat of Curry on the floor is gone. You know, and, and it makes me almost think of football whenever, you know, Calvin Johnson or Randy Moss were playing for their respective teams. Even if they weren't 100%, simply having them on the field created enough of a diversion that you could open up looks for the other guys in the field. Just It was like maybe they weren't 100%, but the defense doesn't completely know that. And until they thoroughly know that, they have to guard them and they have to, like, give them some space. So it's like even having Curry on the floor at 30%, helps out the rest of the team. So when you take him off the floor, Draymond becomes that much more important. Now, I got another mailbag question, which is something I just touched on before. Is Stephen Curry the MVP or is LeBron James? Chris from Pensauk. And Chris, I love that question because, as I said, I think LeBron is fantastic. I think Steph is the flavor of the month. I don't think that flavor will, will go out of style anytime soon because I do think he's probably one of the best shooters I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I'm going to say Steph Curry is absolutely the MVP. Uh, you can't argue with 73 wins, breaking the Bulls record. I mean, that's miraculous. Uh, certainly something that LeBron James has not done. Um and, uh, you know, Steph Curry proves it. And, you know, to go on a rant uh, a little bit about Steph Curry right now. So, um, as I said, I, rec- I pre-recorded this. Um, but as of last night, uh, the only thing I've seen is Steph Curry coming back for game four against the Trailblazers. So the first three games of the Warriors Trailblazers series was no Steph Curry. Um, it was pretty competitive. It was exciting to watch. Trailblazers are really playing with house money here. They got nothing to lose. Got nothing to lose. The, everything that they're doing is, is great, you know, if everything works out in their favor, you know, if they lose right now, it's like, oh, great season. But so they got nothing to lose at this point, and they're just dangerous. You know, it's like they're a hungry animal out in the wild. It's like you get too close to them, they'll just bite you. So the Warriors finally dropped a game, game three in Portland. You know, as soon as you go on the road, you really start to see, you know, I don't want to say home cooking, but you see, you feel the home crowd affect the game. And Portland came out guns blazing. They really got, uh, you know, the Warriors on the ropes, and they took game two, which is really, that's what they've got to do. If they're going to defeat the Golden State Warriors, this mountain of a team, especially without Steph Curry, then they got to do it at home, on their own court when Steph Curry's not in the lineup. The shame is that game four rolled around. Steph Curry started on the bench. Um, Sean Livingston started in his place. Livingston uh, got ejected for two quick technical fouls in the second quarter, and Steph Curry pretty much had to play the rest of the game. Steph Curry looked really rusty for the first couple of games, which you can expect. He hasn't played in a couple of weeks. He's still dealing with an MCL sprain in his knee. I don't care what you say or how fast he gets healthy. He's, his knee is still is still ailing, okay? I got news for you. It still hurts when he runs around. So he was pretty rusty. You saw him... Um, shooting air balls from three, uh, you know, he didn't have the same athleticism, wasn't as, you know, agile running around everywhere, but that didn't matter by the end of the game, because by the fourth quarter, I feel like he got his groove back, the muscle memory came back, and he just started stroking it, hitting threes like it was nobody's business, um, he ends up getting pushing them into overtime, he alone scores 17 points in overtime, which if I'm correct, is a record for any playoff 
or regular season game, no single player has scored that many points in a single overtime period. Steph Curry is a friggin' freak of nature, all right? He ends the game with 40 points, and it's like he never left. It was just like, it was that moment where you're sitting there going, <laughs> you thought I left, didn't you? Yeah, you, you thought I wasn't coming back. Well, boy, were you wrong. Yeah, he came back, and it was just like business as usual. Portland didn't have any answers for him. They did their best to contain him. In the end, I mean, he started shooting threes. Like, I mean, his three-point shot, sometimes it looks like he's not even jumping off the floor. He's just sort of throwing it at the hoop, and it goes in. I mean, he's so, so good. Such an amazing shooter. So the Warriors, Steph Curry is back. One day before he's awarded his MVP trophy, he goes out there and just obliterates the Blazers. I, I don't think the Blazers are going to come back. Uh, at this point in time, I'm thinking that you're probably going to see the Blazers go down in Game 5 in Oakland. You know, because now they got to go on the road. they got to go to, um, you know, Oracle Arena, which is a it's an older arena. And those older arenas, they're loud. You know, they're not designed as, as, as you know technologically proficient as some of these newer arenas. So the, the crowd is just a little closer to the court. Ceiling's just a little lower. Everything's just a little louder. I mean, those arenas get loud. And it's going to be tough for uh, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum to whip up that same backcourt magic that they did in Game 3. Um, you know, even Damian Lillard dropped 30-some-odd points against Steph Curry in Game 4, and it still wasn't enough to beat them. He might be, have to do that all over again in Game 5, and, and I still don't think it's going to be enough to beat them. It's, uh, I mean, the Warriors really, really are something else. And, I mean, listen, I'm preaching to the choir. I think everybody out there will agree with me on that one. Um, so, Chris, to answer your question, I love LeBron James. I certainly think he he definitely needs more of a discussion and more of a consideration of being an MVP this year uh, than he was given. Um, but I, I have to agree with the masses when I say that Steph Curry is certainly the MVP. He deserved it. Um, seeing how much of a difference he made when he came back to the Warriors last night uh, is another sort of testament to how good of a player he is and how deserving he is to be a second straight MVP. Um and uh, it's, uh, I mean, I, I love LeBron, but uh, 73 wins, you can't sneeze at that. It's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. Now, I, I have to start looking at the two other series that are going on right now, which, um, like I said, could be done by the time this airs. Um, but I need to talk about it just because I've, I've spoken so much about the Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors it just I'd be remiss if I don't talk about the Thunder and the Spurs series and also the Heat and the Raptors. So the Thunder and the Spurs is definitely becoming eye-opening. It's very, very interesting now. After the Thunder were able to tie up the series um, in Game 4, you know, making it 2-2, you know, it, 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 things got exciting. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly how this his series is going to shake out. I still think the Spurs are going to pull it out. Um, which might have already happened by now. I, I could be, you know, like I said, I pre-record this stuff, but um, it wasn't just a dominating, sort of suffocating, you know, killing series like I thought the Spurs were going to do. I thought the Spurs, I thought it was going to be tough, but I thought they were going to dismantle Oklahoma City. That first game where they blew them out by 30 points, I thought that was probably going to be the story of it and that maybe it would go to five, possibly six games. Um but Oklahoma City is finally, you know, I, I talked a little bit earlier about things breaking right. You know, things are really breaking right for the Oklahoma City Thunder, a team where everything has not gone well for them in the last couple of seasons. Every year there's some type of 
injury that just derails their entire postseason run. Not the case this time around. They're in a good spot. They're playing pretty well. Um, Billy Donovan actually seems to be figuring out a rotation that works for his team. Um, you know, he's he's getting the most out of his additional players. Uh, you know, I still am a little skeptical about some of the guys on that team, but I mean, it, they're really making it work right now. And Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook are monsters. And all of a sudden, with Tim Duncan aging, with Ginobili aging, you know, the focus of the Spurs team is the goal is the uh, LaMarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, you got to then fit in, you know, the David West, the other guys in there, you know, try to fill in the gaps, get the additional scoring with your Boban and your, your Patty Mills. Um, but LaMarcus and Kawhi are the whole team now. And when you really start to pit them against Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, you start to see how the Thunder can possibly, you know, really dig in and, and change things um, for the Spurs. And uh, so tonight, um, I think the game is actually playing right now. Um, I'm going to tune and check out that game, see what's going on. Uh, this is a pivotal game five in San Antonio. It's certainly going to tell you know, tell us a lot about that series and who's going to come out of it. I'm still picking the Spurs. They're a hell of a juggernaut to take down, and it's going to be tough to, uh, you know, as, as excited as I am to see Oklahoma City playing as well as they are, it's hard to pick them over the Spurs right now. The Heat and the Raptors, oh boy. You know, two teams that, that probably of all the teams that are in the playoffs right now, they're the two teams that kind of, you know, they, they really make me raise an eyebrow an awful lot. So both of them, uh, as of right now, the series is 2-2. Um, by the time this airs, I think the series might be over. I'm still picking Miami to win. Um, Dwayne Wade looks 10 years younger. I mean, he is really doing things that I, I think we all thought he was over the hill. Um, those years with LeBron where he really was resting for most of the season just so he could be ready for the postseason, now... I mean, he looks amazing. It looks like he's not having any of these chronic issues that he had in the past. I mean, he's putting up 30 points a game. Miami has really been a revelation. Luol Deng playing very well. Goran Dragic getting hot when he needs to. Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson has been an excellent, excellent addition for the Miami Heat this season. Really, really. I mean, he kind of filled in a lot of the gaps that were left with Chris Bosh going down. So Chris Bosh officially done for the rest of the season. Quite a shame to now have two straight postseasons where they have to be without Chris Bosh. However, this season, they're really not missing too much of a beat. Hassan Whiteside has been a, you know, definitely been a dominating force down low. The shame of it is now, you know, he's got an MCL sprain as well. Uh, game four, they had to go without him. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how exactly if he's even going to be coming back. Um, but this Miami team... They've got the swagger. They've got that veteran championship moxie to them. You know, you got Dwayne Wade. You got Udonis Haslam on the floor. These guys, they know what it takes to go all the way to the finish line and win it all. So you got to give them some credit. And I think that no matter what happens, even, even if Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan blow up for 50 points a night, if Toronto does everything right, you know, Bismack Biombo has stepped in now that uh, Jonas Valachunas, their center, is done. He had a terrible, terrible ankle injury. He's done for the rest of the series, which is really putting a damper on the rest of their entire playoff run and putting more pressure on Lowry and DeRozan to do anything. Um, but it's, uh, I still just don't see them having, you know, enough 
to overcome the Miami Heat, even though they went up two games to one and Miami is really scraping and clawing to win this series. I mean, on paper, Toronto should be winning this series, but I think in reality, Miami's going to come out on top. Um, I still think it's going to seven games, and uh, I think you're going to see Miami playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's going to be very interesting to watch, um, exciting to say the least. Uh, you know, certainly LeBron and Dwayne Wade going head to head. That's uh, that's going to be a that'll be a show no matter what time it is. Um, so I'm excited to see that shake out. Um, anyway, I talked an awful lot about the playoffs. That was that was a whole lot of shaking going on. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, let's take a breather, and uh, we'll be back in a bit. There is no breather. That is the end of the podcast. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. I'll be back on the mic soon with a a couple of guests, hopefully, and uh, I'll be talking more NBA playoffs because the drama will continue, and until we crown a champion, there's going to be plenty plenty of things to talk about. So thanks for listening. I'll be back soon. Bye-bye.